Got a lot of verses to get to tonight, 34 verses. Um, and I uh, want to tell a story before we get to that. Uh, when I was back before I was here at this church, I was at a, uh, as a youth pastor at a church right down the road. And one of the things we did every year was take a ski trip. Uh, some of these people in this room were on this ski trip I'm going to tell a story about. Uh, we left, left here, St. Louis, about probably 8, 9 o'clock in the evening, and we're going to drive through the night and get into uh, Breckenridge, Colorado, the, the, next, the next day, morning-ish time, uh, in time to check into our hotel room and maybe get a chance to ski. Anyway, we're driving through the middle of the night. It's like 2 in the morning in the middle of Kansas someplace. And when we left here, it was, it was raining. And uh, it kept raining all through the night. Not a, not a hard rain, just a, a slight rain. And as it, it continued to rain, somewhere in the midst of, of Kansas, somewhere in the midst of midnight to 2 in the morning, that what we thought was rain became freezing rain, but we're driving down the, the highway and we don't know it, that it's freezing rain. We think it's just rain. So we're cruising down uh, Interstate 70, uh, middle of Kansas. And, and the, the way our, we're, my brother's driving a 15-passenger van in front of me that's pulling a trailer, and I'm carrying, I'm pulling, I'm driving a 15-passenger van right behind him. And uh, again, like 2 in the morning, and we're driving, and all of a sudden, I see the the trailer that my brother's pulling kind of begin to fishtail a little bit. And then the the trailer spins and, and jackknifes. And so the van is here and the trailer comes and is like like totally going going sideways, which which shoves the my the van this way. So basically they're going sideways at about sixty, seventy miles an hour on ice covered roads, pavement, right in front of me. And I am thoroughly, I'm just, I'm totally scared to death. I think I'm getting ready to witness like eight or ten people in this van, one of which is my brother, and the other seven to nine people are, are high school students who parents have trusted me to take them safely to Colorado and bring them home. And I'm, I'm convinced they're going 70 miles an hour sideways on an icy. Road, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to witness the death of all these people, and I am thoroughly scared, scared out of my mind. And it, 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 it was a matter of, you know, from the time it started to fishtail to the time it was going sideways was probably four seconds, and then they're sideways, and and bef- the, eventually what happened was somehow my brother drove the van into a ditch that was maybe about seven or eight feet down off of the road, and then came back up, uh, so it was just a, a, a small little ditch, and, and this grass and, and the up part of the other, the upslope of the other side of the ditch was what brought the vehicle to, to a stop. And in the midst of that, probably 12 seconds from start to finish, it was, I was totally panicked because I knew I was responsible for these kids, and, and to a lesser extent my brother, as the leader of the trip, and, and I had no control of any kind. I've just got to, to sit and watch whatever is going to happen. I've got to sit and watch it happen. I have no authority over whether or not my brother lives or whether or not these, these students live that are in there. And, and, it's, and I, I knew instantly that he had no control either. So it's, it, I, I didn't trust my brother's ability. and had nothing to do with his ability to drive a vehicle pulling a trailer. It's just that... When you're sliding on ice, you're sliding on ice and you're at the mercy. So it 
completely at the mercy of of the weather and and physics and uh, there's nothing that I can do and, and this paints a picture for me and and, and what I, I want to to get at in this is a lot of times when things are beyond our control when we don't have any authority for things and we think that we are responsible for something fear grips us and i have and from the the driver's seat watching this happen i have no authority no control and i think i have authority and i think i'm supposed to have control over these people but i have nothing and the only thing that i can resort to is to be fearful and be afraid and in those 12 seconds i prayed 30 minutes worth of prayers for for these people and, and i'm i'm totally out of my mind scared but at, at the heart of it is that I don't have any control, and, and I know it, and, and that takes me to a place of fear. So let's get, to, let's get into the passage, and I want to give a little bit of background about what we talked about last week. This is, again, uh, the series Images of Jesus, and we're looking at images of Jesus, and here we're seeing what we've called uh, a trilogy on authority. Jesus talked last week and was had his authority challenged, and this week he, be, he continues to talk about it. Last week, the, the, the overriding theme is that Jesus has authority, and we can either submit to it or we can be in opposition to it. And that same concept, that same understanding, is in play again tonight with the addition of trust and fear. These people don't trust. If you don't trust the one who has the ultimate authority, then fear is going to be your response. And, and here, in my setting, driving this 15-passenger van, I've got no authority, I've got no control, and fear is my response. And what, what's, what's going on in the midst of this passage here, it's, it's framed by two verses in, in Mark, Mark 11:28 and Mark 12:12, 12, 12, where these chief priests, these scribes, these Pharisees are fearful. They are gripped with fear. They're gripped with fear because they... they sense that their authority is being challenged and being taken from them, and they're gripped with fear because they just simply don't trust Jesus. And, and that's where we're going to wind up at the end tonight, is how many times do we look upon Jesus' intrusion into our authority, and we don't trust him fully, and so thus we don't fully engage his authority in our lives, and then we respond and react with fear, just like these Pharisees did. So what has happened is, is Mark telling us the story about authority has framed it with these two verses about fear. And, and Jesus fears two people. I'm sorry, the chief priest and scribe fear two groups of people. First, he fears Jesus. Mark 11:18. the chief priests and the scribes are afraid of Jesus. And then Mark 12:12, 12, 12, they, meaning the they that he's talking about there, are the scribes and the, the chief priests. And by the way, these chief priests and these scribes are the very people that make up the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is, is the ruling council that will eventually sentence Jesus to death. So these people that he's interacting with, just a few short days from these moments, these people will accuse Jesus of blasphemy and, and, and he will be executed because of it. So that's, that's the background to, to set us up for the, these 34 verses we're going to get into. There's distrust and fear that paint what these scribes and these Pharisees are doing. You follow that? And, and so many times, that's our response 
to authority. If we don't trust authority, we respond in fear, and as a result, we don't place ourselves in submission to that authority. And we learned last week, and when we don't place ourselves in submission to authority, we are placing ourselves in opposition to that authority, and which is not a good idea because with opposition to the authority of Jesus comes death, which is where he gets to in the first story. Breaking this thing out into four stories. The first one is the authority issue defined. Talking about the, the parable that Jesus tells. Basically, he plants his vineyard and, and one servant comes and they beat him. Another servant comes and they beat him. A third servant comes and they kill this one. And it says, many others are killed. And then he sends a beloved son. And it's, you don't have to be too smart to, to understand that Jesus is telling a parable about all these other people that came, all these other servants that came that they were beaten and killed. Those are the prophets. Those are the, the priests in the Old Testament that came to, to share the word of God, to speak the word of God. And each time, these religious people killed the prophets of God. They, they killed them. They beat them. That's what he's talking about. And then he sends his son, Jesus, his beloved son. And then verse 7, I want to bring this out. We're just going to kind of breathe tonight, but land on a few verses. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 7. But those tenets who in the story are the religious leaders, the Pharisees, said to one another, this is his heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. I want to stop and, and, and look at those three words. Inheritance will be, four words. Inheritance will be ours. At the heart of that is, I want what belongs to God. Over the banner of, of these three messages in this piece of Scripture that Mark is, is conveying to us about the life of Christ, and Christ is trying to... Con- convey to these people is this authority 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 and here in the middle of it jesus tells a parable that says you want what's rightfully mine and it's authority we want what belongs to god i want to have authority i want to have power and i want to have control then the close of this particular story verse 12 it lays it out reveals what is in their hearts which is fear We already read it before. Read it again. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. How ridiculous is that? They perceived that he told the parable against them. Give me a break. That's silly. Obviously, he's telling the parable against you, you morons. This parable is against you. And so they left him and went away. And again, these are the scribes and these are the Pharisees, right? the very people that in a few days are going to kill Jesus. So Jesus is intentionally, again, we talked about it last week, I'm going to talk about it again now. We, we think that there is some sort of authority, some sort of issue that, that we have with Jesus. But at the heart of it, Jesus is, is, is picking a fight with these guys because he knows the end of the story. And the end of the story is I need to get these guys to hate me so much and want to hold on to their authority so much that they want to kill me. And that's exactly what happens. Story number two. This one, uh, we're going to talk the, these next two stories about smoke screens that people try to put up to, to hide the issue, to, to cloud the issue. They're making noise about something to try and distract the people from the original, from the, the, the real problem, the real issue. So they use politics and money as, as the issue. Ultimately, before we get into the heart of the story, I want to tell you about who these Herodians are. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they come together and bring this, this accusation against Jesus. The Herodians, remember, they, 
You might remember earlier in, in like Mark 4 and Mark 5, the Herodians appeared. And, and they are uh, they are sellouts. They are Jewish people who have sold out to the Roman authority. They have The Herodians, Herod is uh, a puppet ruler. Rome rules the area and they establish a guy named, it's, his title is a Herod. And the Herodians are Jews that are sympathetic to this Herod. And this Herod is not a Jew. So basically, these these Herodians are Jewish people who say, forget about my heritage, forget about what Scripture says about the Messiah coming and freeing us from this Roman oppression, forget about all that stuff. I'm going to sell myself out for power and authority, and the way to do that is to kiss the butt of the Herod. And as a result, they call them Herodians. So we have these Herodians who are sellouts. Think of every bad thing you think about when, when the term sellout comes, and that's who the Pharisees thought these Herodians were. So these are Herodians are sellouts and Pharisees hate them. They are basically, Herodians are, are, are doing all that they can to gain political power and the Pharisees are doing all that they can to gain religious power and authority. So these people are in complete conflict with each other and here they are coming together with this common enemy, this common uh, threat to their authority. They're brought together by, by that one purpose. So we get to, to 12... 15. He, he goes through the, the whole story and they're, they're bringing up this deal about taxes and, and do we pay taxes? Do we give them to Caesar? Do we not give them to Caesar? And, and they go through this whole story and verse 15, Jesus says, but knowing their hypocrisy. And this word hypocrisy, by the way, in the Greek is the same word that's used for actor. So whenever there's, there was a play, they would say the word, you are a hypocrite. And it's not what our, our culture thinks of a hypocrite. It is Strictly an actor. So Jesus calls them. He, he says he looked through their acting. They're trying to make people think that we're worried about whether or not we should pay taxes to Caesar or not. That's not what they're worried about. What they're worried about is, should we respect your authority or should we give way to your authority? And Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, knowing this political smokescreen, this money smokescreen is just that, he sees right through them and gets to the heart of it. And he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. You don't care about politics. You don't care about money. You care about your authority. Jesus speaks to their life. And it's, it's, it's similar to a, a, a man, a, a father, looking at his child and understanding that his child is a liar. Um, and they respect him. And Scripture says they even, they even marvel at him. Uh, I want to tell a, a kind of a funny story about a situation that happened to me. I was a, a freshman at, at Southeast Missouri State University, and uh, I'd come home about once a month or so, once every, or a couple of times a month, and this particular time, my parents were gone from like Thursday to Wednesday, and so uh, I came home after classes on Friday and, and spent the weekend probably doing things that I, I shouldn't have done. I'm glad my 17-year-old daughter's not in the room. Uh, and so... Uh, but friends is don't tell them tell them the story. Uh, so uh, goofing off all weekend long, and then Sunday afternoon, uh, my my mom calls me and says, uh, "When are you gonna go back? When are you gonna drive back to Cape?" Oh, I'll probably drive back in a little bit. Uh, I don't know, maybe an hour or so. And she says, "Okay, call me when when you get when you get home or when you get to to school." Three hours later, I call them. And by the way, this is 1989, pre-caller ID. Um, I'm 
older. Uh, so pre, yeah, I, like three hours go by, and I, I call my parents' hotel room from from my house because they're not going to be home till Wednesday. I'm going to, you know, sleep and play basketball for next and do nothing. And so I call them, and uh, my mom answers the phone. Yeah, I'm here. It's cool. Don't worry about it. I'm here. She through my act and into the phone with my dad and my dad's like, you really, are you really at school? Yeah, dad. Here's a friend of mine who was also, you know, would come back, was, was there with me. Here's, yeah, Wade's right here, you know, not they, like they couldn't put together that Wade was going to hang out and act bad the whole weekend. And, and so my dad said, okay, here's what we're going to do then. I'm going to hang up and then I'm going to call you right back. Oh. Oh. My dad saw right through my hypocrisy and caught me in my lie. Which is exactly what happens here. And they marvel at Jesus. And this is what, what, what cracks me up. First of all, the, he just got through telling the parable to these people that said, you guys are stupid and you're going to try to kill me, but it's not going to work because I'm going to have the final authority. And then just moments later, they, Jesus peers right through their heart and right through their smoke screen and sees their hypocrisy and sees that this is not, has nothing to do with politics, has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with taxes, and has everything to do with this wrestling match, this verbal wrestling match over authority. And he gets right to the heart of it, and he says, why put me to the test, you morons? And, but the, the point is this, is that we, we can see from our perspective and want to be on Jesus' team and be against the Pharisees. We want to be on the winning team and against the, the losing team. But at the heart of it, we act this way all the time. We all have authority issues. We all have them to our core. And we can all sit in a place like this and say, yeah, that's right. Jesus has authority. And if we need to put ourselves in, in submission to that authority. But at the end of the day, we wind up in opposition to his authority. We are a whole lot more like the Pharisees coming to Jesus with hypocrites, coming to Jesus with smoke screens to try and cloud the issue. And Jesus gets to the heart of it always, just like he does here, and cuts through the nonsense, just like my dad did. Okay, let me call you right back. That's the, the heart of, of the teaching is that Jesus knows your heart. Do we understand that? Do we operate in, in that understanding? We, we can't fool God. We always try, just like these Pharisees, just like these leaders who are so stupid. But Mark says they marveled at him. And by the way, when I hung up the phone with my dad, or when I was talking to my dad and he said, let's hang up, I totally marveled at him. It's like, that was awesome. That was really well done, Dad. That was like a little bit after I was I like was concerned about how long the grounding was going to be and whatever. Uh, so they marvel at him just like I marveled at my dad. The heart of it is Jesus is saying this. You're not concerned with Caesar. You're not concerned with your money. You're concerned with your authority. And let's get to the heart of the authority issue. And remember, big banner over the top of, of all of these stories, these two and a half chapters, Jesus has authority. Mark is trying to relate that to his readers in this context. Then the next smokescreen is theology. We get to a new group. The Sadducees are uh, are talked about for the first time here. 
Let me tell you who the Sadducees are. They um, are a smaller group than the Pharisees, and there are some Sadducees that make up the Sanhedrin, but the Sadducees are Bible scholars just like uh, the Pharisees are, but they're a little bit different. They don't hold to anything supernatural. They don't hold to anything. There's no angels. There's no spirits. There's no, no rewards, no judgment, none of that stuff. And anything that Scripture teaches outside of the first five books of the Bible, they don't believe to be true. You follow that? Anything in First Samuel, Second Samuel, the Psalms, the Proverbs, they, they don't, those, those might be uh, poetic writings, those might be interesting things, historical books, but these, they are not the Word of God. The Word of God are the first five books of the Bible to these Sadducees. Okay? Josephus, an ancient historian, called these people, they are rude as aliens. So these people are, we think of the Pharisees, very pompous, very religious, very looked down on you. The Sadducees are like them times ten because they don't all the stuff that most of the religious people today believe they think is hogwash. If it's not in the first five books of the Bible, they don't believe it. So this is who is coming to Jesus. People who don't even believe in the resurrection to begin with. And they they say basically he, he goes through this story. And by the way, the seven brothers and and a wife is a is an ancient story that was happening in the day. So they pulled a context, a contextual story that was popular among the religious people of the day and connected it to this story and said, okay, Jesus, what about this situation? A guy gets married and has a wife and they don't have a kid and, and Scripture says they, they don't have a kid and, and he dies and he, she's got to marry his brother and this happens over and over again seven times. Okay, in the resurrection that you know and I know I don't believe in, what's going to happen? They're trying to trap Jesus in his theology. And... Jesus' response is Mark 12, 26. Which, by the way, time to marvel at Jesus again, Mark 12, 26 is a quote from Exodus 3, 6. So these people are coming to Jesus and saying, what's up with this resurrection? We're going to trap you in your talk, and we don't believe in anything outside of the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus is going to say, look, okay, I'm going to prove it to you with stuff that you hold to be true. You're going to use this big smoke screen to get to the heart of, we don't trust your authority, and thus we are fearful of you. We're going to bring this big theological smoke screen. Jesus is going to not only cut through the smoke screen, but destroy the smoke screen in itself, all right, with 12.26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. All of these people are talked about in Genesis and Exodus, what they would connect with. And these people are living now with me in heaven. God says, I am the God of these people today, presently. I am their God. There is a resurrection that's coming. So he disputes their theological claim with something that they hold to be true. And he cuts through the matter. But ultimately, it, it, it all is irrelevant anyway because they don't care about the resurrection. They don't care about the answer to the question. They just want to challenge the authority of, of Jesus, and we have got to connect with that. The smokescreen is that we don't trust authorities placed in our lives, so we don't submit to them. Here, I don't trust you, Jesus, and so I'm not going to submit to your authority. And we can connect with that. God has placed authority in our lives. I was uh, interested this week. Barack Obama wins the Nobel Peace Prize. And most of my friends on Facebook are white, 
Christian middle class people. And everyone who had anything to say about Barack Obama winning the Nobel Peace Prize was like, how can that be true, man? That's man. And just a bunch of crying over Barack Obama winning the Nobel Peace Prize. And it's, it's just so typical. If a Republican was in office, we would all be saying, hey, yay, yay, things are great. George W. Bush, let's throw a party. God places authority in our lives, good or bad. That's truth. God places authority in our lives, good or bad. Whether George Bush is our president or whether some Republican who's a senator right now is going to be the president after Obama, that Barack Obama is God's choice to be our president in this day. Inarguable point. And the thing that frustrates me is that white, middle-class Christians decide that I'm going to oppose the authority of Barack Obama in my life. I'm going to throw these, these big temper tantrums when he wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Who, who cares, by the way? Seriously, who cares? But we, and, and this, is, this is the heart of it, this political smokescreen that's here, we have a really easy time submitting to authority that does what we want them to. Did you hear that? We have a really easy time submitting to authority that does what we want them to. But that's not submission at all. That's surrounding yourself with people who think like you think. And it's not a challenge at all. God has placed authority in your life. He's, he gave you the parents that he gave you. He gave you the mentors that he gave you. He gave you the pastor that he gave you. He gave you the church that he gave you. All those authorities, good, bad, and different. God is, is teaching you authority and how to submit to it on an earthly level. And if you throw fits all the time, anytime anything comes out of the mouth of Barack Obama, you're in sin. Stop it. Submit to the authority that people bring to your life. And here's, here's another example. So much of our lives are spent with this. I, I have, well, afraid I might break your confidence. I'm not going to go there. Um, let's, just, let's just say that that's God's place in our lives, and if it isn't exactly the way we want, we're not going to submit to it. And that is contrary to Scripture and what Jesus is teaching against. And because at the heart of it, we don't submit to authority that's placed in our lives because we think we're smarter than God. We don't trust you, God. When wives, when we don't submit to our husbands fully, even when they're screwing up, I, you are saying, I don't trust you, God. I don't trust the man that you brought to me. Do we see that? And, and turn that around, men, and understand the weight of that responsibility. And rise to that. That's, I talked during the welcome about the reason why we want to do Banner Brothers is because churches don't have men to stand up and be men. Understand our deep responsibility because God has placed you in a position of authority. Stand up and take ownership of that authority and submit 
to your authorities in your life, to your mentors, to your pastors, to Scripture. God has placed authority in your life. Submit to it. The fourth story is the answer, the correct response. This is the last exchange. Jesus has the respect of this scribe. He asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. The same thing that's talked about several other times in Scripture. What's the most important commandment? Verse 32 and 33 are huge. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. That simple phrase, you are right, teacher, is submission. Jesus, what you just said is right. I trust you. I submit to your authority in my life. Verse 33, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse 33 is is the hinge that this whole message turns on. Submission, respect, trust. Opposite of opposition and distrust and fear. Are rooted in, yes, Jesus, you are right. And there's no amount. And go go back, walk through verse 33 with, with this understanding. That... Jesus is not interested in the stuff that you can do for him. He's interested in what, how you're going to submit to his authority in your life. He's just said the most important thing you can do is to love God and love your neighbor. And as much, the end of verse 33, is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. No amount of, of coming to church, putting money in the offering plate, checking off boxes of, I read my Bible, I witnessed to somebody today. None of that stuff is important if we are in opposition to his authority in his life, in our life. That's the the heart of it. I want to end with some, some application, some broad application. It's going to be on the screen and it's going to be in your bulletin. And I want us to deeply connect with this. You and I have authority issues. You and I have authority issues. There's a, a, a girl that I know told me the story. Happened a while ago. Uh, she said she was in a church service and uh, she was wrestling, dealing with some anger issues in her heart. And she hadn't been in church in a while but and, and she goes to the service and she felt like God and the, the pastor knew these anger issues that were, were dealing in her heart. And, and she sat there and just wept because it, the words of the pastor and the sermon cut right into her heart and right exactly where she was. And, and, and she was like, I got to get rid of this. I got to give away my anger. And, and she actually even, it was a sort of a big established church. And she walked down to the front at the end with, during an invitation and, and, and prayed with a with somebody that was there to receive her and, and said, 
God, would you take away my anger? Would you take it from me? The very next day, the person in her life that causes the most anger was out of their mind and and did something horrible to her. And her mind goes back to, God, I just gave you my anger yesterday morning. But she, in in the midst of, of that moment, could not submit to the authority of Christ. And understand, last week, I had us thinking deeply about what authority issue, what core authority issue do we have with God that we, we don't want to give up. And for her, it was anger. And then the next day, there's a test. Do you really submit to my authority? And her response was, no. And at the core of that is, God, I don't trust you. Well, the, the situation was a difficult situation involving children and, and just ugliness and was bad. What she said with her, her mind and with her anger is, God, I don't trust you to provide for my children. And here, in the midst of, of all of this North Church stuff, so many times I wrestle with authority issues with God. God, I trust that you have called us to this time and this place, and hardship is pressing down upon us. My heart has been wrestling with this. God, help me learn to submit to your authority. But I guarantee you, I will be rebelling and trying to live in my own strength and trying to live in my own authority. And you guys, all, if you think very hardly, very hard at all, you will connect with some issue of authority that you struggle with with God. Where you want to say in a beautiful moment like this friend of mine in a service where you pray with some guy and just beautiful, God, take my authority. Take, take it. I give you authority. I fully trust you. And the next day, God, give me that back. I don't trust you. Give me my authority back. We all have authority issues. And we all use smoke screens. We all make this big, big hey, God, well, yeah. But ultimately, the, the, the heart of the matter is, just like this story, using money and politics is, is what we want to argue over, but at, at the heart of it, it's a verbal wrestling match of authority. And then... Later on, we're talking about theology, and we have these theological issues. I'm not going to submit to you because you don't believe the way I believe. But ultimately, it's an issue with authority. Then, the third, you and I, is submission brings the kingdom. Go back to, to, chapter, to chapter 12. Verse 34, after the scribe says you're right and submission is better than sacrifice, Jesus says this, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. You are not far from the kingdom. I've taught on the kingdom a lot. I'm going to teach on it again just for a second. The kingdom is this. Pre-sin entering into the world, Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with each other and lived in perfect harmony with God. That's this peace that Christ came to bring, to redeem. And this kingdom of God, when those words show up in Scripture, the kingdom of God is what he's talking about, is, is beautiful, harmonious peace with each other and beautiful, harmonious peace with God. Here, 
after this scribe says, submission to your authority is more important than any sacrifice that I could give to you, Jesus' response is, you're not far off from the peace that you were designed to live in. Naked and unashamed. People can see everything that you are and are still fully and completely accepting of who you are. That is the kingdom of God. And God can see every bit of who you are and you feel no shame in who you are. That is the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus says in the midst of this guy saying submission is the key, not sacrifice. Jesus says you are so close to having the peace that you were intended to live in. This kingdom of God. Submission brings the kingdom. And then lastly, submission casts out fear. Do we, do we see when we fully submit to who Christ is, we're no longer afraid. These Pharisees, these scribes, these religious leaders were scared of Jesus because they were scared he was going to take their authority from them. If you are fully submitted and fully understanding that Jesus has the authority, you got no, there's nothing to take. It's like walking down the street with an empty wallet. You're not going to get robbed. you got nothing to get robbed from. We think we walk around thinking Jesus is trying to take our joy from us. He's trying to take from us. we got nothing to, that God needs to take from us. And when we realize that, we are in submission to his authority and we are living in a kingdom and it's a beautiful, perfect harmonious balance but here's the end of it the story about a friend of mine in a a beautiful encounter with with god submitting to who he was and then going back and taking her her anger back we are depraved people living among depraved people who always we're predisposed to distrust, we're predisposed to live in opposition to the authority of Christ. And that's where the beauty of the gospel sits. This is a scribe talking to Jesus. Let's connect with that. The end of the story that Jesus says, you're very close to the kingdom. It's a scribe. Very likely, this is a member of the Sanhedrin. Submission is more important than sacrifice. I'm going to give away. Jesus died for this guy. A couple of days later, this is a guy who's, who is in a court of a law system, is sentencing Jesus to death, who just a few days before, Jesus said, you're very close to the kingdom of God. Was Jesus wrong? No. Jesus was proclaiming the gospel. He was living the gospel. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our lying with our mouth, Jesus, I submit to you. I understand that submission is more important than uh, my own perceived authority. Submission is more important than my own sacrifice. And then a couple days later, he denies that completely. He's still in the same spot, very close to the kingdom of God, because of the beauty of the gospel. We have to connect with that. And we have to see that because we are sinners who sin consistently. But Jesus is, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us and displayed, brought his love within our reach. And here, in the midst of teaching about authority, he's displaying that love. Let's pray.
God, I thank You for this night. I thank You for Scripture, Father. God, I pray that You would open our minds to our opposition to the Gospel, or to our opposition to authority. If You would connect our hearts to your story, God. And how we come and we beat and we kill your mouthpieces, God, and your Son so that we can grab at authority, we can grab at power. Or convict our hearts of trying to fool you, God. Lord, just lead us to a place of surrender, of trust, of authority that and God connects the gospel. Your beautiful Son, Jesus Christ, engaging murderous liars. And saying they're close to the kingdom of God. God, I stand, when I stand before these people, desperate for your grace. Without your grace, this is just a bad show. Lord, I, I, I want to trust you. I want to lead people to trust you. God, would you bring us to that place? We trust you. And the outpouring of that trust is submission. That you are in control. And the stuff that's happening to us, you intend to. To shape us and mold us into your son. That we might live vital, Christ-like lives. I thank you for Jesus and his beautiful gospel. It's in his purpose.